Welcome to the Standard of Truth podcast. In this podcast, Dr. Garrett Dirkmont and Professor Richard LaDuke explore the early history of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and the life and teachings of Prophet Joseph Smith. They examine the original historical sources and provide context for events of the past. They approach the history of the Church with faith, expertise, and humor. Hi, welcome to another episode of the Standard of Truth podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Garrett Dirkmont, and I'm joined by my friend, Gangris Hoofenall, Professor Richard LaDuke. Hello, Genriff. It's nice to be with you today. Uh, we have uh, we've received several emails that have asked for kind of a, a multi-parter. Um, we're we're getting we're so close to the uh, apostates or apostles, we, apostates, we and apothecaries. Part of that one and a half. Yeah, we, we do need to finish that today. Yes, we, we do. need to talk. We need. We told them the exciting conclusion. Oh, that's right about George Adams. George Adams. Everyone yeah. was on on just oh, the edge I, of their I, seat. I mean, it's we, like at a monster truck rally. Uh, you pay fa- for the whole seat, but you only need the edge. <laughs> you only need the edge. I mean, of the thousands of emails we received today alone. <laughs> How many of them were about the conclusion of the George Adams episode? We received zero emails of anyone showing the slightest interest of that uh, of that conclusion. But I assume it's because they they knew that we'd follow through. They wouldn't need to email. Right. They're waiting. We always follow through on everything that we say that we're going to get to. I don't remember that, but yes. So we're going to get to that. That's very exciting. Okay. Yeah. Um, we have a couple of emails from our uh, Phoebe Draper uh, mailbag. Um, dear Professor Leduc, sorry for this uh, for spelling it wrong. Um, is it is it spelled wrong? You know what, uh, JT, it's it's a little wrong, um, but you got the the L right, you got the D right, and there's only two or three other letters. You, you got the... a U in there, and you know what? I've had it spelled much much worse. So when you when you go to the temple, <laughs> when I go to the temple by my <laughs> wife, everyone. Um, uh, please tell Dr. Dirkmott to stop lying. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, this is a, we get a lot of these emails, but usually is, they're from antagonists. So this one's, this one's actually, this one, this one is one of my favorites. So tell Dr. Dirkmont to stop lying about what people think about the podcast. You have a very addicted 13 year old listener in Riverton, Utah, <laughs> Professor LaDuke. I hope you know, you have at least one listener that loves and plays football. That's great, nice. JT. So, so is he betting on football? Is no, that no, what no. Comes next? Well, first of all, I'd like to refer everyone to President Hinckley's 2005 conference address from April no on should no, no should gambling yeah, yeah, ever. Yeah. Every time you talk about it, my ears perk up, and I love how you sound so knowledgeable. Oh my gosh, JT. Oh my JT gosh, JT knows the way to your heart. He sure does. Uh, yeah. I don't. I don't care if he's it's like a reverse a, Janet. <laughs> Uh, no, <laughs> that's funny. No question yet. Hope you will read this on air so my mom, who introduced me, can hear that I wrote an email and she didn't. Wow. By the way, I'm begging my parents to let me use their card to sign up for premium. So, Thanks for all you do. I can't say it enough. Sincerely, JT. JT. Oh my gosh. So first of all, uh, thank you for uh, listening to us and and suffering through the interminable George <laughs> Adamses, uh, all of the other apostates, apostles, and apothecaries. I have, have I have children 
the age of JT who don't listen and don't like me personally, let yeah, alone the yeah. podcast. Well, because you've been wrong on so many sports picks. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I, um, I've got a good feeling about BYU. Uh, over Arkansas? So, oh, well, over <laughs> – That happened last week? Yeah, that's why I'm asking. No, 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 Kansas. Kansas this week. It's the first Big 12 game. But Kansas is favored by almost 10 points. They are. It was. It's nine – I, I, I've heard it's nine and a half from a degenerate friend of mine. That's ticked up. I think it started around seven and a half or eight. But I've got a good feeling BYU looked exciting against Arkansas – it's our official Big 12 conference kickoff game in Lawrence. Kansas is notoriously terrible, although this year they've got a they've got a pretty good. They were good, good last year too. They have, I mean, they have a pretty good. Yeah. They have a pretty good team. They're, well, they're I mean, they, they started amazing. off like six and zero, and then yeah. like barely made a, a bowl game, but just like us. <laughs> but anyway, uh, JT, this is the nicest and sweetest uh, email, and so I'm going to send you the links to all of the premium content. All of them. All of the links. How are we going to content. get his pre- his parents' credit card information? <laughs> well, I'm just concerned and that he the might. Number. <laughs> This, we, the we security have, code on the back. Make yeah, sure we you need get you to that. tell us the. We need to know the dates. The security code. Just take a picture of the front and back. Send Do it you over. have the mailing zip code? That's very no. important. JT, I'm going to send you the links to all the premium content. That is absolutely uh, so nice. If you if you moderately like this, then that will be fine. <laughs> um, and that's that's the standard of truth uh, premium guarantee. It's 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 it's, it's, it's okay. It's fine. Yeah. It's okay. It's it's not the worst thing you've ever listened to. Anyway, very 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 kind. Thank you so much. And I will send that and I will actually send it out. Garrett's going to start talking here in a little bit about uh, like America and the uh, you know, the first amendment and things and I'll I'll drone off. And right. uh, that way when I ask him a question, <laughs> his glazed over eyes will look up and, 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 and look at me like I'm the one not yeah. talking. I didn't even get the expression right. As Garrett drones on, I drift off. That's what yeah. I meant to say, but I, I combined them. I will drone off. <laughs> You'll drone <laughs> off while I drift on? Yeah, you know right. what? I do drift on. So thank you, JT. This uh, second email comes to us from Janet. It's a follow-up uh, to the Janet, email, who is quickly fast friends with Richard. Yeah, first of all, uh, absolutely love Janet. She's one of our our favorite listeners, and she's hilarious. She's very. Funny. She is. She does. She's got to do you know improv on the weekends. <laughs> well, so the subject line is hyena question mark question mark gangrenous hoofed antelope question mark question mark. <laughs> but seriously folks Garrett did a fine job of bringing forth the truth as always thank you Garrett <laughs> we do all appreciate your research Richard in finding the latest and greatest clarification top drawer there and a big congratulations Richard on defending your chapter one huge step forward I believe she's talking about my my dissertation um, and I might have taken liberties when i said chapter one i mean mostly the uh you mean your introduction no mostly the table of contents okay so you have (laughs) so you have an idea about what you might defend on i do have an idea it's and it's uh it was labeled as cute or part of it was (laughs) um huge step forward really 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 and isn't it so true that there is always someone with a very small attitude on a committee and and on your committee someone with a questionable vocabulary and, and small enough, like an ant, to brazenly reduce all your hard work down to cute. I appreciate, by the way, her saying all of my hard work. Uh, she obviously doesn't know 
the caliber of the work that I have produced. <laughs> Such She's, buffoonery. The, the best suggestion I can give comes from my three-year-old grandson upon encountering an ant he didn't like, whereupon he informed the small ant, look out, ant, or I'm going to squash you with my great big foot. Makes me think of those Ant-Man shows. I kind of like them. Digress, digress. By the way, I used to work at the College of Education at the University of Utah, just so you know. If you ever need to just pop in at the Titanic Business School or the <laughs> Lusitania Professional Business School. Did she name those for ships that sunk <laughs> tragically for a reason? I, I'm not sure. Uh, but she does, does give some good advice here if you're looking for uh, reasonable parking at uh, the University of Utah. It is increasingly difficult to find parking there. Uh, you can pay or you can park in the circle at the at the CO, COE, as long as there's no longer as long as it's no longer than 20 minutes the reason for this is the tanner dance parents are always coming and going there you know uh park and go into the building for a bit it's not patrolled as much as other areas because of this i can't guarantee not getting a ticket but the chances are quite a bit less just make it quick which by the way um that is great advice i I usually i park over at the uh at the utah museum of fine arts that's over by the business school i walk in Take a look at the Acme Lab hot dog bridge. Rub oh. my rub. It's it's a it's an exhibit. It goes away in October. You should go see it. You know what? Lovely. I like how we're doing free advertising for your school. That's well, it's, it's a free. It's a free, <laughs> no, it's a free nope. museum. No, nope, you're trying. No, I go look at the hot dog bridge. I rub my chin in kind of a contemplative way. Uh, then I register my license plate at the welcome desk. <laughs> <laughs> look, I, I was talking to Garrett about this before. We both grew up in relatively rural uh, Idaho where paying for parking is something there's, I have a moral aversion to yeah. it. I mean, it's like, what, what do you mean pay for parking? Yeah. Is there, is there, you know, is a Joe Diffie concert going on here? <laughs> what? <laughs> Why would we have to pay for parking? <laughs> well, we're not going to get, we're not oh, going to yeah, get George like, straight but there. Yeah. George, yeah. Joe Diffie coming in. People are parking cars in their front yard. They're yeah, going to make their yard. mortgage. That yeah. right. Joe Diffie. Uh, I remember I was in New York City once with some friends, and uh, and I, we were looking for a place to park, and we couldn't find any place. And I found a garage, and it was forty four dollars per half hour. And I said, "Fine." I, I just wanted to get out of the car because it was the traffic was so bad. But uh, anyway, that's that's good advice. Um, she says, "Love you guys, bunches and bunches." Signing off, the hyena. Although she would prefer jackal, which is very good. Anyway. Janet, you have a great sense of humor. You are absolutely lovely. And you took the episode uh, in the manner that it, it was intended. Well, was- yes. And, and uh, we had someone else even comment uh, on that, on, on maybe not that episode, but a previous one we were talking about uh, authorities. Uh, Larry emailed um, just to, I think, to check base to see whether or not uh, when we were talking about how you know, the first presidency was, we, we've actually had a couple of emails on the first presidency. Maybe we need to do a whole episode on that. But um, that at, at some point we were talking about how the first presidency is very different thing today than it was um, in Joseph Smith's time, in part because in our modern history, right? So in the last 30 years, uh, you know, so, you know, people like JT, you know, <laughs> you remember you right. know, all 13 of those. Uh uh, we haven't had members of the first presidency who weren't apostles. So Larry wrote in and said, well, you know, there were some uh, members and especially assistants to the first presidency who weren't apostles in, in the earlier part of the 20th century, which is true. 
Um, but really, uh, since, uh, since, you know, President Hinckley, which is where most people's, uh, you know, our, our younger listeners' uh, understanding of church uh, of church experiences, you know, today it would be a pretty big thing. I mean, I know that we have people who remember times when there were, you know, as as we were talking with Janet, you know, assistance to the twelve. If that were to happen again today, my guess is it would be a really big deal. Yeah, be- for sure, because it's been, you know, four decades since it happened, and so whenever you go that long without doing something it suddenly becomes a big deal. A great example of this would be, what if the church were to fill the office of presiding patriarch again? The church had a presiding patriarch for a long time. I mean, all the way back to Joseph Smith's time. You had uh, Father Smith, and then you had Hiram Smith, and then you had William Smith, and on down the line, in the Smith family, you had a presiding patriarch who was in charge of all patriarchs in the church and, 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 and setting apart new patriarchs and, and handling all that. You had a presiding patriarch, and it was an office that's mentioned in Doctrine and Covenants section 124. So it, it's, it's not like just an office that like, oh, you know, we, we made it up one day. We're like, I don't know, what are we going to call the person who hands out the hymnals? I don't know, presiding patriarch? That sounds good. Well, I'd love to be the presiding patriarch. Here's your hymnal. Um, but uh, uh, after uh, our uh, the most recent um, uh, patriarch stepped down for age reasons, because he was well over 100 years old, the church didn't fill that position again. Now, they didn't like release a press statement saying, hey, there's now no longer an office of presiding patriarch. It essentially is an unfilled position. I would assume much like most of the primary callings in most of your wards, uh, where you know th- there is a there is a place for a permanent CTR teacher. There's just not a CTR teacher, I right? Don't know. My wife teaches in the nursery. It's it, she loves it more than anything. Really, it's it's pretty great. Going from the two hour or from the three hours to the two hours yeah. does help out quite. Yeah, a bit. because of the old adage, anyone can tolerate anything for an hour. That's about right. Yeah. Yeah, except Our for those based you, on that. Well, I was going to say, except for those of you listening to this podcast, <laughs> uh, you may feel like as we approach the hour mark, you know what? I'm not okay with it as much as I thought I was. Anyway, the point being with the office of presiding patriarch is it has now been so long since we had one that many people listening to me will remember when we had one. But there's a considerable portion of people listening. I love how I'm talking about this. Like there are literally millions of people listening. Well, well, look, if JT has his way. JT, you've got to get more people to listen. Or <laughs> or, or our friend R in Idaho needs to arrest more people. <laughs> I feel like he is he is not doing enough to arrest enough people to, to get our podcast on the map. Um, but the point being, if tomorrow President Nelson were to call as a special assistant to the first presidency or as another first presidency member, a member of the 70 or someone who wasn't even a 70 to that position, it would be a shocking thing. It wouldn't be, I'm not saying it would be a bad thing. It's not like people would be like, Oh no, I no longer have a testimony. You know what? Actually there, there would at least be someone who would say that, right? Cause Twitter exists. So yeah, for so sure. Someone somewhere would be like, Oh, this proves that president Nelson isn't a prophet because he did the exact same thing that, dozen prophets before him did. So therefore, 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, like, there's always someone who 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 will say something like that, but I, I think in our collective memory of the most modern era of the church, it would be a very very odd thing. And you know, someday when we go through. Uh, church administration, we could go through and kind of categorize each presidency and each apostleship. That sounds, would that be fun? Well, that would, it would be kill something. time. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I feel like Richard, he just gave me a, a hard pass. <laughs> Appreciate the hustle. No, bro. no, no. Let's, um, let's turn that into a seven parter. See what we can and, do. <laughs> and the last week of the broadcasting <laughs> of the standard truth podcast was this week. Um, so, now, we promised when we left you last that we would finish the exciting conclusion of George Adams. Yes. We talked about how George Adams um, uh, was claiming that he was the 13th apostle. And then we read his brother, Elias. Uh, I don't know. How would you like to just, how would you characterize Elias's letter to George? It was one where he pointed out that he believed that uh, that James Strang might have might not necessarily have quite the authority, according to thirty seven sources that he cited, yeah. um, that uh, his brother thought that he did. Yeah, and I feel like he was a um, he he went the opposite of the only the elder route. <laughs> yeah, he uh, he uh, he said. Uh, so you're trying to tell me that James Strang is the leader of the church when he's only an elder and uh, everyone else has keys. But what happened to George Adams after that? That's the question. Well, so Adams is, and, and, and you're, you'll see why this is the exciting conclusion. I know you're like, you know, this better be so good. I waited all week on pins and needles. I mean, look, how many of you out there, you know, email us are, are, uh, sitting there saying, you know what? I, I can't wait the week. I, I need to talk to them now. I'm not, I don't, I don't need it enough to that I'm going to sign up for premium because I can't get my parents' credit card. Uh, but I, I, I uh, you know, that's another reason to sign up for our Palmyra tour. Our Palmyra tour, we still have spots left on that. Yeah, Nauvoo is sold out. Yep, but the Palmyra tour, uh, where we are going to be going to Fort McHenry, where the Star Spangled Banner was, and to Gettysburg. So if you like some American history stuff, uh, I'm a little bit nerdy at those places. Just going to let people know that right now. Um, as opposed to normally. As, as, as opposed the to the fact that we will talk, you know, we won't talk about the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo. We won't do we that. Will. We did on the last one. We actually did. We were in yeah. Vermont and we talked about it. Yeah, I know. I, it, I've got to, I'm going to have to go through a 12-step <laughs> program. I, I mean, I think I'm still in, uh, I still haven't accepted that there's a higher power. That's, that's the big problem. That's the first step. Karen. I know that I'm still not there yet. So, um, at any rate, please, you know, if you're interested, uh, we'd love to have you come on the tour. Um, but the George Adams saga is a crazy one. It's actually one that I knew about before I got into church history. And now you've got to be thinking, how could you possibly, I don't even know who George Adams is, and I'm pretty sure a gangrous hoofed antelope wouldn't know either, right? <laughs> Did, you know, um, well, because before I, I came to the church history department, when I was working on the Joseph Smith papers, while I was getting my PhD, back when my advisors were telling me how stupid I was, <laughs> uh, and I uh, actually had one, one member of my committee who informed me after he was named officially on my committee, <sighs> Garrett, you should know my wife hates Mormons. <laughs> I mean, hate, I mean, hates them. 
And he like said it with a sigh like that. And I'm like, what do, what do you, what actually do you say to your, a member of your dissertation committee when they tell you, my wife hates people like you? Well, so there's lots of reasons to hate you personally, right? Right, which and, but, I would have been okay with. Well, yeah, but so get to get to know me and hate me for yeah. who I am. I want you to hate me for the content of my character. <laughs> if you learn nothing from Martin Luther yeah. King. I need you to hate me because I'm hateable. <laughs> Not because my wife's also a Mormon. And she's lovely. She's the night like if any of you know Angie, right now you are shaking your heads, nodding with me, listening to me right now, saying, Angie's much better than you. And, and, Angie is the, she's the greatest, honestly, she's like the greatest person ever. If an angel fell from heaven, you know, that's why her name's Angie. You right. know I mean? You Preaching know. another gospel. No, no, <laughs> that's a different one. Anyway, so while I was at, while I was being told that I was hated because I was a Mormon, <laughs> um, I was the e uh, assistant editor uh, of the uh, academic journal, Diplomatic History at the University of Colorado. It's published out It's a top tier. It's a tier one journal for uh, diplomatic American foreign relations, right? So, and because of my affiliation with that, I, one time going over something else, came across an article talking about George Adams. Well, why? Why would anyone at the University of Colorado care about any Mormon at all, let alone an apostate one <laughs> who had gone away long before they went to Salt Lake? Because George Adams is still, you know, he's still, he's still got some Mormonism on the brain. And uh, he moves back to back east. He lives in a couple places, but he goes back to eventually ends up in Maine. And he founds a church. He calls this church the Church of the Messiah. And it becomes a highly millennial church. And one of the points of the second coming, you know, being very, very, very near, is George Adams begins to teach that in order to usher in the second coming, or at the very least, in order to be there when the second coming occurs, guess where these people need to go? Any ideas, Richard? Where would they need to go? Boy, of, of all the places, um, I'm gonna say East Lansing, Michigan. <laughs> wow, that that's where you go when you want to lose to the Wolverines. But um, uh, well, the, that's Michigan State. The Spartans are there. I, I know. Lose to the wolf. Lose Wolverines. to the Wolverines. Oh, yeah. The Wolverines. yeah, they're yeah. coming in Ann yeah. Arbor. They're beating the yes. Spartans. Okay, yeah, yeah, for sure. I misunderstood. Yeah. I apologize. Yeah. Uh, CJ, <laughs> JT, this is the reason why we we can't talk about sports because I will say something like Michigan's going to beat Michigan State and Richard hears, put all your money on Michigan State. That's what he heard. Well, look, they're going through a huge issue with a coach. I Washington beat them very badly last week. Washington also would, beat I, Boise State very badly. I don't want to talk about that. Boise State handled North Dakota barely. Uh, you're going to want to fade Michigan State. <laughs> well, you don't even know what the line is, but doesn't matter. It could be a hundred faded. <laughs> okay. Um, not East Lansing. George Adams uh, decides that the way to usher in the second coming, and this is on the heels of the, of the civil war. So this is in 1865. Look, the civil war was a great time for apocalypticists. Oh yeah, of course. I mean, look in Latter-day Saint tradition, we had a lot of people who, you know, looked at, it, it, it's hard to really describe just how much 
how much society was thrown into an uproar by the Civil War. I mean, the carnage is is incredible. And you have states and economies that are completely destroyed by it. And look, there are more people who are casualties at the Battle of Antietam in one day than there are casualties for the entirety of the War of 1812, which is three years. So think about that for a minute. Everything, you know, we're talking about Fort Fort McHenry and and the British, you know, burning Washington and all the battles going on. You 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 brought it right back to the tour, didn't you? Because we are going. You know, we are going to Fort McHenry. Wait wait a wait a sell. Well, did I mean we could have done, uh, you know, the the Battle of New Orleans site? Yeah, yeah, sure, but you didn't. You mentioned where we're going on our tour. The reason why (laughs) the reason why I didn't is because there was only like six Americans who got killed in that battle. Like we've roasted. I have been there with Garrett actually, and you geeked out. I was. it was pretty exciting. It was fantastic. Yeah. yeah. What what was funny is that we were in the uh we were in the visitor center. And so my friends who were with me were asking me questions about the battle. It wasn't like there was a tour guide there. No, but then people started to gather. It was hilarious. And they started asking questions and stuff. And, and then the, the ranger comes over, he starts asking questions. The ranger came over. <laughs> you know what was really funny though is one of the the people who came up and were kind of like asking us a bunch of questions. Ended up being Latter-day Saints. Now, I don't know if you know Louisiana's demographics. Oh, Do we have bl- any listeners in Louisiana? Uh, most of our listeners in Louisiana. We are we are blowing up. In like, uh, in, yeah. in, 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 uh, in like Baton Rouge? Baton Rouge, we're killing it. Um, in most of the swamps near uh, Lafayette, uh, Monroe. Oh, oh, Monroe. We're huge in Monroe. Yeah, we've got – East Monroe? Oh, my gosh. I'm guessing we don't even have a single issue. You know what? West Monroe? If you okay. happen to listen to us North in East Louisiana – And I don't mean like you had a, a layover in Louisiana. <laughs> if you're from Louisiana, we found out we had some listeners from Arkansas. Yeah, we did actually. That was that was tremendous. Yeah. So we're sorry for your loss. Did they, do you think that they came and cheered for BYU? They probably had one of those shirts that's like split in half, one's blue, one's My red. guess is actually that would cause them problems at home. For sure. Yeah. No. You just go you root for Arkansas. You know, and we're we're big fans of uh, of Tulane. It's a great institution, you know. Um yeah. the more that we can prop up. I think my former stake president got his master's degree at Tulane. There you go. Yeah. That's so the there are Mormons That's, there. Well, we're, or there were. I mean, <laughs> I mean well, before Katrina. We've, yeah. Yeah, we, we've also been there and are no longer there. It's true. <laughs> uh, but if you are a listener in Louisiana, we need to we need to have you. We want your beignet recipe and we want. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Well, so what, what, what I was talking about with all of this. Yeah, what are you talking about? <laughs> is that the Civil War led to a huge rise in apocalypticism. We could do, we could do a 15-part podcast on that because the, the, the casualties uh, in the Civil War were, were so high and, and so many people were affected by it. It's not just people in the South who have armies trudging through their, the, you know, destroying their economy up and down. Um, but it's also in in various ways where people are 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 moving away to join the army, even if they don't get killed. People are dying, being wounded. There is a huge rise in prosthetic limbs and uh, you know fake wooden legs and hooks 
after the American Civil War because one of the primary ways that you were treated by a battlefield surgeon is, oh, you were shot in the elbow? Let's just saw that off and then it won't become gangrenous. Huh? Yeah, nice. You yeah, know nice what? callback. I, I, there's a lot of callbacks today. I feel like this is this is one giant callback. Um, but to give you an idea of just how, I mean, we talked about this in a many moons ago, uh, a long time ago on the podcast, we talked about Joseph Smith's revelation on the coming of the civil war doctrine and covenant section 87. Do you remember that? Yeah. Um, and when we talked about it, one of the things we, we said was, uh, that part of the aspect that's miraculous is that Joseph receives this revelation that the war is going to be terrible and long and bloody. And even up to the time that the Civil War breaks out, no one thinks that. And so you, you take the, the casualty figures of something like the American Civil War and you, um, you factor that in as a percentage of the population. This is what you end up with. So in 1860, before the American Civil War begins, before the succession crisis, the war actually starts in 1861, there are roughly 31 or so million Americans living in all of the United States. During the Civil War, there's 650,000 casualties. Now look, not all of those are deaths. Some of those are wounds, but Civil War wounds don't work out so well uh, as we're as we understand. You mean like a tooth abscess? Yeah, I mean like, hey, do you have hay fever? Not anymore because I'm dead. <laughs> um, uh, do you know what that works out to? A roughly two percent of the entire population of the United States became casualties in the Civil War. Wow. If you were to do the same thing today, to give you an idea of what that would mean today, it's got to be 7 million, million almost 7 million casualties. How long were we in Afghanistan and Iraq? I mean, we got to where you were upwards of five, six, seven thousand casualties. 7 million is the equivalent of what the Civil War was. 2% of their population casualties in the civil war to give you a, a comparison to that um you know richard how, what are the casualty figures from the war of 1812 well we got our unpaid intern crack research staff on top of this so we have we should hire jt <laughs> we should he's gonna be way better with numbers than we are 100 yeah, certainly better at lines 13 that puts us right in the unpaid intern spot i believe yeah i think uh, at what point do we have to obey child labor laws <laughs> you know well we'll have a remote uh remote area in in countries that don't observe those okay yeah so so we'll, between, so we'll, we'll be getting our affiliate in dubai <laughs> quickly so between twenty five thousand and seventy thousand american patriots died uh during active military service about in the about, revolutionary war yes in the revolutionary war about seven thousand little under seven thousand were killed in battle while seventeen thousand died of disease and and lots of other lots of other things the british casualty number was about twenty four thousand men that right that died. so so look at that uh, for the Revolutionary War, which is eight years long. I mean, I mean, frankly, it's 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 
you know, 70, early 1775, and they don't sign the Treaty of Paris, which is another Treaty of Paris. There's lots of treaties of Paris. And if you want to talk more about treaties of yeah, Paris. 50-50 shot. What yeah. treaty is it? Treaty yeah. of Paris. If you're guessing, it's either Paris or Ghent. Those are the, <laughs> those are the ones you guess on. Just because if it's an American history test, you know, Treaty of Ghent. Guadalupe Hidalgo, not so much. No. Only say that one if it's the Mexican-American War. Yes. Um, but anyway, um, in... The Battle of Antietam. Also, War of 1812, you also asked. Oh, yeah, go ahead. War of 1812. But I forgot that you've done more research. I spent a lot of time doing a lot of research. I feel like we are just blowing (laughs) right past this. Roughly 15,000 Americans died as a result of World of uh, War of 1812. 8,600 British and Canadian soldiers. And and that war died of battle and disease. Three years long. At the Battle of Antietam, which was one day, it's in 1862. McClellan is invading. Uh, McClellan is trying to repel Lee's invasion of the North for the first time. And outside of Sharpsburg, Maryland, uh, you always know a Confederate named battle because Confederates named their battles uh, by the closest town. And the Union tend to name their battles by the closest body of water or physical feature, right? So, um, what does the, the battle of bull run is called bull run by the union because bull run is the name of the Creek running through that area of Virginia. It's called the battle of Manassas junction by the Confederates because it's at Manassas junction, right? So, uh, um, at any rate, the battle of Antietam battle of Sharpsburg, same, same thing. 23,000 casualties in one day. So you can see how quickly that becomes apocalyptic right? These are casualty rates that are not just, not just horrific, which they of course are. They are totally unprecedented in American history. Washington is going to fight and win and lose huge battles with the British where they have a thousand casualties on each side. Here you're having 12 and 13 and 14,000 people in a single battle. So one of the results of, of the how horrific the Civil War became was a rise in a belief of millennialism and apocalypticism. And Adams is going to feed off of this. Clearly, we must be in the end times. If the most Christian nation on earth is rent into and millions of people are going to die. I mean, people don't know how long it's going to go. In the end, there's not many millions who die, but 650,000 casualties is a lot of casualties. Um, and his church, Church of the Messiah, starts to gain quite a few congregants. Where do they believe they need to go to prepare for the second coming? Well, they believe they need to go to the Holy Land. Mm. So Adams is going to take a trip to the Holy Land, negotiate the purchase of some land outside of Jaffa and from the Ottoman Empire. The Ottoman Empire controls all of that land. They controlled it all when when Orson Hyde went. Uh, Interestingly, I, I said, I think on the previous podcast, that George Adams was very intrigued by Orson Hyde's trip to the Holy Land, even back in, 18, in, in, in 1842 when he's talking about it. Um, so he argues that a group of these believers need to go to the Holy Land in preparation for Jesus' coming. So these members of the Church of the Messiah 
do exactly that. They actually buy land from the Ottoman Empire. Now, it ends up being terrible land. And 156 people who are his congregants go with him to go colonize this area in Jaffa. And they are, I mean, they are very ill-prepared, to say the least. They essentially are there, um, they're there camped on the beaches, basically. You know, they, they are, are living off of the, the kindness of the local uh, settlers. They're ill-prepared for it. Um, but this is not just, the reason why I heard about it before was this is not just him doing it on his own. Adams actually gets an audience with uh, big leaders in in the United States government, including President Andrew Johnson. He becomes president after Abraham Lincoln is murdered. So Johnson and Seward actually help organize relations with the Ottoman Empire to get this American colony to move into Jaffa. Well, they buy a 10-acre plot of land. Okay, that that's not very big for 156 well, now, people. Hold on. Now, in our family tradition, 10 acres. Uh, well, is, I mean, it's 10 times what you guys. That's what I'm saying have. in Quebec. But yeah. there weren't 156 Ladukes <laughs> living on it, or were there? I, I feel like that's pretty close. Uh, we I, we by chance ran into another uh, college athlete. Uh, we were looking at names who had the last name of Laduke. And I asked Richard, are you related to this one? And he essentially said we couldn't possibly be because he's an athlete. Yes. Does he have a deviated septum? Does he have problems breathing in the spring or fall? No. Then, of course, we're not related to okay. him. <laughs> well, there you go. Could be from the other side, uh, you know, <laughs> sure. the French side that didn't come to Canada. Yes. Um, at any rate, 10 acres for 156 people when you are primarily agrarian economy makes it pretty, pretty rough. They found this colony. Um and very quickly, there are problems, in part because these colonists had turned all their money over to Adams. Well, Adams is the one who's deciding how that money is going to be spent. This, um, this becomes a huge international incident because these people basically have nothing and they end up just starving. Um, and the United States government, so again, why do I know American foreign relations? The United States government actually has to get involved to help pay to bring these American citizens back from their failed Church of the Messiah colony in Israel, uh, well, in the Ottoman Empire, and what would later become part of Israel, um, or you know, anciently was part of Israel. I mean, there's there's so many ways that you could really put that up, um, and uh, I mean, ends up spending thousands of dollars bringing these people back, so. Um, you know, by, uh, 1867, you know, the whole colony's collapsing. So that's the, that's the end of the story with, uh, with George Adams that he actually goes on to found this kind of Mormon ish colony. You know, they still use things like the book of Mormon talking about the apocalyptic return of, uh, of Jesus. They cause a giant nightmare with the U S state department who, you know, it's their own fault. Andrew Johnson, probably thinking he could leverage it, you know, uh, agreed to let them go. 
But then the United States government ends up having to pay to bring all of these failed colonists back because they were all essentially starving to death on the, the, the shores of the Mediterranean. Now, that's probably not where you thought that story was going. Um, no, no, no. Uh, and I think that that has ruined uh, episode to episode teases for us forever. So we should never, ever tease <laughs> Well, episodes. I was just saying if we're teasing something and then... So you're saying it wasn't a very good answer. No, it was great. It's just it Do was Do you unexpected. know of any other apostate former members of the Council of 50 who started a colony in what would later become Israel? I know six. <laughs> Join us next time <laughs> when we talk about the various six uh, people. So um, what we will talk about on our next episode, though, is uh, – should I even say – no, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Because say. if we do, then we're we absolutely going to do it. Yeah. We're 100%. We say that, but we're not going to. 400%. With the standard of truth guarantee, we're going to do a, it. It's a stone cold. It's a stone cold lead, lock of the week. Lead pipe lock. <laughs> yeah, that, we're going to do it. What's our over under on actually doing it? Are we I, taking lines on ourselves? Yet? Yeah, minus one ten. Aren't we like, <laughs> aren't we like Pete Rose at this point? If <laughs> betting on our own team? Yeah. 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 I always bet on us to win, though. Yeah, well, but, so you don't always bet. Well, because we're going to lose those games. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's what he knew. did. That's I why he was, was going right. to lose. Yeah. Well, um, one of the things we want to talk about is this is the month that is uh, the anniversary of the Constitution, right? So uh, September. And um, we want to talk a little bit about Joseph Smith's feelings and his ideas surrounding the Constitution of the United States. And you all, you often hear a lot of things surrounding this. And so I want to try to put some of these things in context to talk about what it was like uh, for Joseph, because uh, Joseph has multiple statements where he clearly reveres the Constitution. Joseph's very proud to be an American. I mean, Lee... Lee Greenwood's got nothing on him. Uh, he uh, he clearly treasures the fact that he is part of the American nation. And, of course, he has uh, actual Minutemen in his his family history. His great-grandfather uh, and, and grandfather are people who served at various times in, um, in Revolutionary War capacities. And so... It's not a theoretical thing for the Smiths that they, you know, fought the British and that they secured these rights. It's part of their family history. Now I want you to think about how that, how do you deal with the cognitive dissonance? Oh, there we go. How about that? Yeah. Uh, of believing that the United States is a chosen place selected by God, that God has somehow allowed to defeat the mighty British Empire, and instead of becoming a democracy that collapses on itself, becomes a functioning democracy, to believe that, and then to have that same government utterly refuse to protect Latter-day Saints in their rights, their privileges, and their religion. How do you negotiate those things, knowing the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence to be inspired by God and yet to have your own enemies quoting the Constitution to you as they refuse to help protect your other rights outlined in the Constitution. So I think we want to do a little bit of an examination on that and 
So for our next podcast, that's what we will spend some time on. Obviously, we'll read a few other emails. Uh, I'm sure Richard's antler, uh, antelope, you know, antlers have, have offended other people at this point. And I have actually now sent the email to JT while you were so talking. So the email was sent. So how much Guessing. money are we out from the premium content now? Well, I, I mean, mean, we were getting zero. We're getting so. zero. So zero minus zero, it, it all works out. You, I, when, you, when you factor in the cost of goods sold and, you know, you, I mean, I mean, I've what been it, doing some cost accounting here. Actually, we, we made quite a bit of money. What about inflation, though? Well, inflation hurts us, obviously. Yeah, because we haven't raised our rates. We should. Because you actually have to have customers. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. But if we if we raise our rates to the number I want, we just need one customer. Right. We so need one. We need a millionaire to donate. Yeah. To, okay. No, millionaire. Wow. Whoa. Wow. Well, I mean, a millionaire. I mean, we, we, we appreciate all millionaire listeners, but we need someone that's a bit of a heavier hitter than that. If what, we're gonna, what are our costs? <laughs> they're exorbitant, Garrett. I, I feel like well, if we were to get that donation, I would see you driving like a Maserati the next day. Richard well, also does our books. <laughs> I do some creative cost accounting. Yeah. But, well, I uh, mean, you are the business PhD almost. That's right. So, uh, so anyway, I, hopefully you uh, learned a little bit about George Adams. We're going to talk a little bit about some of these other uh, aspects of church history. And next time we're going to talk about this complicated relationship that Joseph Smith and frankly, going forward, Latter-day Saints are going to have with the institutions of, of American government and the founding documents of the United States, where they are both treasured and also problematic for a persecuted religious minority group. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to the Standard of Truth podcast, hosted by historian Dr. Garrett Dirkmott. If you know anybody that could benefit from the material in this episode, please share it with them. And for more resources, visit standardoftruth.com. Until next time.